Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 12, Useful Members of Society. This week we're discussing season 1, episode 11 of Doctor Who, Boomtown, and season 1, episode 11 of Buffy, Out of Mind, Out of Sight. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay, <laughs> so I have to say, I was not thrilled to see the Slytherin again. Um, at least it was only one of them this time. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. Yeah, I, and, I don't know. I'm just I just sig- got to get it out of my system. Significantly say, less time uh, with farting and with the alien yeah, suit itself. Yeah, yeah. Like more time yeah. just with her talking, which is a favorable improvement. Not, right, exactly. Yeah. We get a few a few grumbles and an excuse for her to run to the bathroom to change out of her costume, so to speak. But, um, yeah, no, I, I you're right. That is a good aspect of it. But I just need to say I was not thrilled with seeing them again. <sighs> okay, moving on. So <laughs> Yeah, we, well, I think um, you... you you are not alone in that sentiment. <laughs> not not the best monster to bring back. I don't think a lot of people's one of the least favorite monsters. And I think, um, you know, maybe given it's probably it's a factor of it would have been that you know they're writing the episodes before the earlier ones have aired. You know, mm. like it's like so they may not have. They may have been writing it before they really knew whether or not the Slovene were a successful, you know. So if I have any defense for it, it's like, it's not like the episode had aired. Everyone hated it. And then they were like, oh, we're going to bring back this monster that everyone thought was crap. You know, like. That's a, that's a really nice defense of I, that. I, I'll, I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And actually the other um, defense, which I don't have any particular strong feelings or against, um, but um, Russell Davies, they had, well, they must have at least shot some of the earlier Slovene episodes, even if maybe they hadn't been finished or cut together yet, because the reason they actually brought back um, Annette Badland, who played blonde Margaret, whatever you want to call her, is because Mm -hmm. Russell Davies liked her performance and thought they didn't give her enough to do. So maybe... Maybe they were thinking, well, for episode um, 11, we need some sort of a returning monster. She would be a good one to, to use. So so yeah, part of it sure. was just wanting to work with the actor again, um, which, it, you know, so it wouldn't surprise me if they wanted to do that, but then toned down the Slovene aspects of it um, right. and let it be and, more about the acting. And and I will say that the acting was good, and, and there, there are some really good points in there where where you get her emotional i mean <laughs> she does a great job of of conveying sympathy mm-hmm. for herself or or, or okay. in, in invoking sympathy for herself and and also in challenging and, and and kind of having that sort of you know when she's trying to get uh trying to see which of them will look her in the eye mm-hmm. and, and, and has sort of the, the haughty, uh, you know, moral superiority in that moment when you know, or at least strongly suspect, well, you know that she's tried to kill 
millions and billions of people right. in the past. Or was and you strongly to, yeah. Yeah. suspect, um, you know, as, as Mickey seems pretty strongly convicted, even though he, well, none of them will look her in the eye, but, um, you know, Mickey at least still seems strongly convicted and, and you kind of, I think that's the only time that I'm actually with Mickey ever <laughs> is in that <laughs> conviction of no, she's bad. Don't listen to her. Yeah. And, but, but at the same time, you, you can't help but sort of, you, you know, hear what she's saying. And, and, and yeah, there is a aspect there of, yeah, well, and she, uh, I mean, and, and that is the acting is, is my point that yeah, I want to get to yeah, that, that well, you're right. It is well acted. And it's a, it's a fine line to walk because you know, she, she is good at getting you to feel enough sympathy for her. But on the other hand, it's not even so much about do we feel sympathy for her or even like her. It's more about the doctor having to deliver the justice himself. Mm. You know, that seems to me to be as much. It's not a question of is she bad or not. It's a question of, well, she's bad, but am I willing to take someone to their execution? And you know, how far will I personally go with that? Like, you know, I think that's, that's the doctor's kind of dilemma. Is well, he like, you know, defeats the bad guy and then runs off and it's other people who have to actually administer justice normally. And this is one time that he has to stick around and choose to do that himself. I don't know though, how true that is. I mean, I'm thinking of episode two with Cassandra where he sits there and she explodes and, you know, he, sure. he pulls her back very similarly to how, to how uh, he pulls back blonde slash Margaret here um, with, with the transporter stuff. And, and he just stands there and watches while she explodes. Right. And, That's true. And, and Rose even tells him to help her and he doesn't. And he doesn't. So I, I, I had a bit of, of cognitive dissonance in some of those moments there. And, and, and so let's talk about that. Let's talk about the doctor because there, there is some, you're right. There, there's definitely a certain aspect and, and I forget exactly what blonde says um, to him, you know, about that, about the going away and, and mm-hmm. you're always the first to go doctor. That's she says, but um, you, you know, butcher my family and then run for the stars Uh and, and, and then, you know, you're off. Right. So, but that doesn't seem to always be true. I mean, he, he does seem to stick around and for the most part until the immediate threat is taken care of anyway. So I, right. I guess. I, and it was, no, her. I she, think he can definitely, only, I think, he sorry, can definitely, I, I was just going to add that yeah. the only reason that, that she's even still around is because she had a transport device initially and she's the one who ran away from right. the rest of her family. So I, you know, I think it's, yeah, that argument seems a little disingenuous and I, and I'm not saying that's disingenuous like writing or storytelling. I think that's, her, the character being yeah. disingenuous. I don't think that's, I think that's her trying to manipulate Manipulating, the doctor. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and I don't think that that's necessarily, um, you know, something we're meant to think of as, as canon as for the doctor's yeah. character. I mean, I think, I think we're, we're meant to try to defend the doctor in that situation or, or at least prompted to try to think, you know, is, is at least think about is that, is what she's saying really true there is a hint of truth to it, it mm-hmm. seems, but I think when you really look at it deeper, it's yeah. not true. That's not the doctor's character. He's not the one who just runs away. And of course it's playing on the fact that he 
let his whole civilization get destroyed. I mean, that's, uh, you you can't help. And, and, and I think, I think that's a great aspect to it because you know, he's thinking that and it's never stated. Right. It's never stated. And it's, it's, it's there under the surface. So sorry, I cut you off before. I just wanted to make sure I got that aspect of it out. What were you going to point to? I was going to maybe make, I think in broad strokes, you're, you're definitely right. I was going to maybe make a slight distinction between, I think the doctor can be very cold and can administer justice when it needs to be. So the moment with Cassandra being a good example, I was wondering if there was a difference between um, that being sort of a in the moment sort of this is how it is. I'm going to let this happen. I'm not going to stop it versus Margaret, okay, we've got to refuel. We've got to spend the night here. We've got to take her back to her planet. And that being mm. a much more long, drawn out, like, I don't think he runs away, like, is, like, scared to face any consequences of what he's done. But I think right. it's more like he's not there for the trial and the conviction of the war criminal. You know, it's sure, kind of like sure, he's sure. the guy who stops the bad things from happening and defeats the villain yeah. and 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 can and will do that but he's but this kind of drawn out march to the guillotine isn't yeah. something that so if there's any truth of it i think it's more in that that it's the kind right, of right. facing the long term consequences of yeah yeah and having no, he... to kind of march someone to their own execution rather than like okay you broke the rules so i'm going to you know defeat you because that's what I need to do to stop you. Right. Right. If, if we're thinking of doctor medical terms, he's a field medic. He's, right. he's the <laughs> yeah. guy who patches up the major trauma yeah. and lets other people deal with the long-term recovery. Right. And, right. And, and yeah. Know, so I agree. He's not completely consequence free. Um, so maybe if this one is, if this example is different, it's more in that kind of like, you know, um, really prolonged process where he's forced to like wait around and have dinner and have her back (laughs) sitting behind him pleading. Like how often does this happen? You know, usually it's like a spur of the moment. It doesn't leave time for this sort of contemplation of his own actions. Right. Right. Well, and, and it forces him to sort of deal with logistical stuff that he hates dealing with. Right. You know, we get, we get hints in other episodes, you know, like uh, when he tells Adam and 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 uh, I forget that name of that episode that you know where they were on the space station. The and, long game. And he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, and he's like, you know, just go do, go like explore, have you know, have fun, figure things out. Like he, he doesn't like to deal. The doctor doesn't like to deal with, you know, waiting. Oh, Wait, I need to get handcuffs and take her along. And what about security? And, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And waiting around for the TARDIS to recharge. And, and, you know, they go off while Jack is is under the hood and, you know, patching things together or trying to patch things together. And, and, yeah, no, I, I, that makes sense to me, I guess. And I think that that's what, um, blonde or Margaret or, or we should just decide on what one to Who call are we her. Calling I, her. I guess we'll just call let's call her Margaret because that seems more natural than blonde. <laughs> but um, so you know I think that's what Margaret's playing on because she 
I think she senses that this is true about the doctor, that he right. doesn't like sort of this stuff. And, and that's, you know, when she's in there, she, she talks about the, the waiting itself, you know, this is, you know, this is something that she, she sort of senses or, or knows that the doctor isn't, you know, doesn't, doesn't uh, like to stick around for these sorts of things. Yeah. Um, no. And I think you're right that it's manipulative. So it's calculated on her part you know, that she's biding for time. And so, you know, there may be a kernel of truth that she's picking up on and, you know, and she's twisting it all out of proportion in order to press the right buttons to kind of either maybe right. save herself or delay long enough for whatever it is that she did with the hoverboard to start. Uh, <laughs> or the pan-dimensional surfboard or whatever that thing the was. pan-dimensional surfboard, Yes. Exactly. Um, um, well, and I mean, there's other, I mean, you mentioned the, I mean, I, it's totally right that what you said about them being both sort of come from families or races that were wiped out and that being like an unspoken parallel between the two, um, you know, that they're kind of, again, she's another isolated and lonely person, just like the doctor. Um, mm. and you know, and they, I, I think there's a couple other parallels between the two as well. The way she talks about, um, being fond of her human life and just wanting an ordinary life and that she actually, the longer she was in the human suit, the more she actually, now I guess we could wonder whether, again, this is more manipulation. Like, does she actually feel this way? But the fact that she did let that woman go kind of suggests that to me, it's, again, this motif of being, pretending to be human and maybe being around humans humanizes you, you know? Mm. So I'm thinking of Rose, you know, her, or, her touch humanizing the Dalek a little bit and her, and I think her influence on the doctor, you know, that, I mean, think of how remote he was in when we first met him. And, mm. and now, you know, that scene of, when the four of them are just out to lunch and they're in the cafe and Jack's telling a story and they're all around, they're just <laughs> laughing and having a great time. You right. don't see the doctor like that. Certainly we no. haven't seen that in this series so far. That's easily the most normal and domestic we've seen him so far. So you wonder, yeah. you know, is he becoming fond of this being around people and being with humans and, you know, and maybe becoming a little bit softer and more human himself, just like she did. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's right. I think, I think that from Margaret's perspective, I think we're meant to, to believe that she's being at least somewhat in earnest there. You know, yeah. the, the, the best lies have a hint of truth in them. Right. right. I mean, they're, you know, I think, I think again, it's not that, I don't think she is completely lying or even she might not be lying at all. She's selectively choosing what truth she tells though. I mean, she, she is fond of her humanity, but in the same moment and which is proved later, we know that she's trying to go home, you know, she's or go right. meet up with other Celine somewhere at the peril of literally everybody on earth wiping yeah. out you know, the entire race of humanity. So, you know, I, I don't think that we're supposed to 
take that as her being completely uh, lying or anything. She's certainly being disingenuous and manipulative, though. Mm-hmm. And and I think you're right. I mean, there's certainly that idea of of the of humanity extending beyond you know your DNA structure. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know it it it, it, it it's because uh, that you know again that moment of compassion for the reporter that she has is is genuine, genuine, it seems. And even the doctor says, you know, I, I believe you. I believe right. that you felt compassion for this woman and let her go. That doesn't excuse everything else you've and, done. And, uh, yeah, and that's yeah. how you learn to live with yourself. You know. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was going to say is that that I think the doctor's retort is perfectly right, that you might actually feel this way, but that doesn't change the reality of what you've done. It doesn't excuse it doesn't redeem anything, um, mm. you know, and, and in a way it may even, it may even make the cold blooded killings even more horrendous because you're not some sort of, you know, sociopath who has no compassion for other people that you're right. someone who is capable of this. And because you occasionally give yourself, you know, a free pass to, you know, let someone go and to feel something for someone, then you've sort of justified to yourself that really deep down, I'm a good person and I'm doing these, you know, whatever I'm doing, I'm doing for the right reasons, you know, and, you know, oh, aren't I a saint because I let this woman go. Um, But it really doesn't change anything. No, no, I don't think it does. And, well, I mean, other than like you said that it's it's in a way worse that mm-hmm. because you know she has these can have these feelings, the fact that she still chooses to cuz I mean the reporter she like oh is going to die if her plan goes through one way or the other. Like, you know, what that so right. what you gave her an extra day right or something of life and then you're going to kill everybody? Like that's not Right. What? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, that's a little bizarre. Um, so I think I don't know. There's some interesting stuff there with with the doctor and stuff. But I mean, you know, some of the whole well, I don't make the law, but you deliver it. You know, like that kind of stuff. I mean, very clearly playing off the whole idea of you know corporal punishment should, should yeah. you know should should we have it? Should we not? Is it good in some ways? Is it bad? Well, mm-hmm. what if there's you know someone who's really evil and it will always be evil and all that. But, you know, the interesting part comes, you know, near the end there Mm -hmm. with, with the TARDIS and stuff. And I don't know, well, we, I mean, I know we want to talk about the other characters too. So maybe we shouldn't talk about that yet. Which which would you rather talk about first? Let's, let's, let's skip over to Rose and Jack and Mickey. Cause I think, I think I kind of want to, I want to make sure we talk about them and I think we'll definitely, want to talk about the TARDIS though too at the end. So yeah. let's, let's, I, I think let's do that. So, um, Rose, I want to Rose. talk about her because. <laughs> not her finest I, moment. No, well, it's not. And I'm like, I know I said there was only one place where I agree with Mickey. I mean, I, and, and that was, I just said, we're going to talk about Rose. Mickey is, is, 
I mean, he's holding on to something he, he needs to just let go. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. and, and so, like, that's that's obviously, like, that's pretty clear. Like, I don't think any, like, even he knows it. You yeah. know, he's, yep. you, know, you know, he he's, he's, he's all he but, yeah. he, he's all but let go. Um, you know, he, he sort of knows the rational response, I guess, but, but still has the feelings, which, you know, I guess is understandable, but Rose, like, <laughs> we get the, 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 admission Mm -hmm. from her that she didn't really need her passport (laughs) to come back well so so, here's my question yeah um and it doesn't give a shed a good color on her either way um so i don't think there's a right or a wrong answer to this necessarily but is that a lie because you know it could be that she really didn't need her passport and is just there to see mickey in which case she's just making up excuses to make him come running, you know, basically whenever she wants. Um, right. Or she really did need it and is just telling him that so that he feels like she wants to see him. And, you know, and secretly she actually did need her passport, but it's like, well, if I tell Mickey I wanted to see him, then it makes him feel better. Well, okay, but if she needs her, pa- if she needs her passport, when did she go get it? She, do does, she never goes home. Well, Does he she? brought it with him. Oh, he brought it. I think it. that's the point oh. is that... Oh, that's right. That's I think right. I'm the, sorry. Yeah, the idea is that she, he, he at some point, oh, she, she called she has and the was phone. like, yeah, she's gotcha, like, gotcha. we're going to be in Cardiff. I, can you bring me my passport? That's that's what I that's took right. out of that. That's right. That's yeah. right. I, I, I forgot. I missed that part. Um, okay. Okay. So he brings it to her. Yeah. She says in she either really case, need it. neither of them are well, very... Which, <laughs> I mean, how good is her passport going to be in most of her travels? Unless, right. unless you know, except for the few times that apparently they're going to be in contemporary times. Right. Like, they go back 50 years, her passport's not going to do right, any good because right. her birth date is not even arrived yet. And, right. you know, probably another 50 years in the future, the passports are going to be completely redesigned. So, like, yeah. there's a very narrow time window where her passport actually does any good anyway. Um Right. I, you know. So, so we can. The, 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 the thing that frustrates me. That she's telling the truth. About Rose. And, and I've, you know, mentioned this before. And the doctor certainly has picked up on it. Is, I mean, it's like every guy that comes along mm-hmm. is just. Which, okay. I mean, fine. You're, people have attractions and whatever. Like, that's not the problem. But it. I don't know. It's, just, it's that. It's that the hanging on. And it's not just with me. It yeah. it's with the doctor too. I mean, it goes both ways, and mm-hmm. and and Jack too. I guess <laughs> maybe like like. I'm, but of course, like we get Jack and the doctor kind of third right. at the beginning right. there. So like, I'm not like I don't. They have don't a weird if, little threesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There. I mean, it's it's yeah threes company vibe, uh-huh. but you know, with two guys and a girl instead of the other way around. Right, and it. You know, whatever. And that's fine if they're all into it. But I just, like, Rose, is, Rose just doesn't seem to know what she wants. And, right, right. And okay, you know, it takes people a while. But, but there is a clear, um, there, is, there is a clear sense of, of leading on, especially with oh, Mickey. Yeah. And, 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 but at the same time, I don't know. Like, that, that in and of itself should, like, make me perhaps feel better towards Mickey, but I still can't bring it to myself to, to like the guy. He's just, 
he's he's got that personality of like he's owed something uh-huh. and and maybe in a way he is but at the same time i did we get how long it's been since mickey so the last time we six saw months. mickey six months okay yeah and since the world war three since the which end was of, the last time we saw mickey okay right which was 12 months Right, so, that's what I was going to so say. So it's been a year, it's and, a year and a half and a half, since... and he's seen her twice. Right. Yeah. And but then he's like he he has this whole blurted confession of, you know, I've been seeing someone and and uh Trisha Delaney uh-huh. and and but like he just asked her to go to spend the night at a hotel. With. Yep. Yep. And it's like So he's leading on too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're you know, both of you are are I don't know. Like it's 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 very frustrating, and and it's. I guess I can understand more why Mickey's doing it. I I don't understand as much why Rose would be leading on. Like Mickey, you know, Mickey wanted to be with Rose all along. Right. Like that. That's very clear. Like every time we see him, he's like, "I want to be with you, whatever." But he wants it on his terms. He wants Rose to stay there. Mm-hmm. Or at least to promise that when she comes back, she'll be with him. And that's, yeah, that's not like, like Rose isn't willing to do that. And that's, so from, from Mickey's side of things, that, that seems, that's manipulative. And that's also, you know, it's like, you know, dude, just like read the signs. Well, and it's like, it would be (laughs) healthier for both of them from both points of view to just say, we're going in different directions. It was nice. <laughs> quite literally, in every aspect that I you think, can yeah, happen. Yeah, definitely. And there is, for both of them, that sense of, you know, I mean, for Rose, I wonder, is it like some sort of like a safety net? Like like Mickey's like your security blanket who I have to feed him treats every once in a while so that he's still there when I come back. You know, if I was going to try to, like, psychoanalyze her, that's what I'd say. Like, what is she getting out of the relationship? Nothing in terms of any sort of real, you know, connection. No. Um, no. It's just, I need someone to bring me my passport when I need it, and, and someone who can kind of make me feel like, who I can brag to about all the places and the planets that I've been to, and... He right, adores right. me, so he'll just listen and take it, and then I can go off and do the really cool stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, she's completely, completely insensitive to him. Um, and, yeah, for him, I mean, I, well, I you can't it's... call Rose a safety net. She's anything but a but he's the no, no, no. He likes being the safety net. He can't. Uh, he's so, you know, just comfortable and attached to her and so passive that, you know, whatever, you know, and I guess we know people in relationships like that, that, you know, um, I was, you know, I I wasn't even thinking about this, but it just popped into my head. I watched The Perks of Being a Wallflower, um, last weekend for the first time. And that's all about them wondering why people are in unhealthy relationships where why people end up being sure, with people sure. who mistreat them. And right. like, I don't think Rose 
is like a bad person, but clearly Mickey should not be with her for his own mm. sake. You know, kind of when she says at the end, he deserves better. I don't know that she means that he deserves, it's not like he deserves a better person. It's like he deserves someone who will treat him well and she can't give that to him, you know? And so. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think Mickey deserves that. Well, well, but what they, the quote that they repeated, the quote that they kept repeating in the Perks of Being a Wallflower was um, that that thing about you accept the love that you think you deserve, that that's why, sure. that's why people get into, you know, codependent and abusive relationships is you will take it if you think that that's what I deserve. And that's a hugely insecure or a sign of insecurity and your independence on somebody else. So whatever, I mean, for those of us who aren't in those relationships, you can't understand from the outside, you know, why you would be in that, but it happens all the time. So clearly this is like, you know, and it's like, I don't understand it, but people must think that that's the best they can do. And and there's sort of the, the flip side of that coin too, is when people do finally split up who seem to have been in a, you know, perfect relationship or at least a very good relationship and, and nobody understands why that might've happened. I mean, you don't, you don't necessarily see what's going on. Yeah. From the outside. Right. With, yeah. you, you know, from the outside, um, from any any side, you know, unless you're unless you're the one in it. So, yeah, no, I, I I definitely hear what you're saying. I you know I think, well, and and the dependency is there for both of them because it, it's interesting that Rose she gets angry at Mickey later, like <laughs> you know we're meant to believe sometime later when she just sort of explodes and like. And and is like you don't even like Trisha Delaney, like, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's like just out of the blue, like. But I mean, the implication being that she's been thinking about it this whole time, yeah, yeah. you know, like, like you know, and she's but she's fat, and she, you know, <laughs> you don't even like her, and like you know this other stuff. But like, why does she care at that point? You know, like, what what is what is she? What is either of them getting from this relationship? It's nothing. Um, and I, and I think. To Mickey's credit, at the very end, he realizes that. Mm-hmm. And I think um, she does, too. I mean, I think she, well, she he, also he comes He seems to, to realize at first, because she's the oh, one who goes yeah. running back. Well, I mean, he, yeah, yeah. I mean, he just walks away. Right, exactly. And and I, I think he realizes that first. And it's not till he comes to that realization that Rose goes back yeah. and says no okay fine you know everything's fine he's fine we're all fine here thank you how are you um yeah and i think and, well what kind of you know what shows to me is that she's had some sort of breakthrough is that she doesn't say you know it, it's not again that thing of it's not self-centered in the fact that mickey left and where'd he go and why isn't he here for me and all these things and where he should be here when i need him whatever but that moment of he deserves better. Like, you know, that she's sharing the blame and realizing that, you know, she's been out of, she's been pretty out of line with how she's Maybe. been treating him. Just a little Oh, bit. yeah, no, she's been out of line. I'd, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, because we don't get a whole lot from her because then she gets, you know. They're off. Uh, 
uh, yeah, they're, and they're they're, off. they're off and 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 whatever. So like I mean, I'm hopefully. not saying she's like grown up overnight, you know, but I think that's the right. first moment where she maybe had a glimpse at her own, you know, her own well, mistreatment she, of him. It's yeah, it's 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 the feeling and of course he doesn't leave her the same way she left him way back in episode one where, you know, it's a kiss and see you later, dude. Yeah. But it, you, you know, it, it does perhaps give her that same yeah sort of feeling that he, that he got then when she realizes, wait, Oh, he, he didn't stick around to wait till I came back. Yeah. For him. Yeah. You know, like he, he's gone just like she was suddenly gone. Yeah. Anyway, we, okay. So, all right. Rose, Mickey, Hopefully that's severed and we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> Mickey the idiot is being idiotic somewhere else. Um, but Jack. So, Jack. all right. We get a little bit about Jack. Uh-huh. And we already mentioned the flirting with the doctor uh-huh. and whatever. But yeah. the... Um, buy, buy me a drink first. The, the, I, I love the... So we've already... I mean, we've already seen the 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 disparity or, or the foilness of the doctor and Jack. and. Uh-huh. But then we get right at the beginning there the Jack and Mickey yeah. as foils to you know and the jumping <laughs> over he clean like makes a clean jump over the mop bucket and Mickey falls into it and is running in with it on his foot and <laughs> yeah 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 no yeah the swab it was so yeah with 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 the doctor right it was about the technology not having yeah the right or the slickest technology you know it wasn't Spock but you know with Mickey it's more the lack of physical prowess and yeah. you know uh he, he mickey's just sort of awkward whereas jack is yeah the, yeah the smooth you know sort of secret agent spy yeah. you know can <laughs> run anywhere and do almost like parkour moves and yeah. that kind of stuff yeah but the 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 um well and even just right when he opens the tardis oh are you are you a salesman? Like, and you, you're not quite sure. Cause I mean, he must know that Mickey is on his way and why yeah. would a salesman knock on a police box? Like, right. Well, you, and you have to believe that he knew it was Mickey before so he opened the he's door. He's instantly doing what the doctor does, which is giving Mickey a hard time. Right. Like, right, right. like it's almost like the doctor said, Mickey's coming. Why, why don't you, why don't you, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. tell him to go away when he gets here? <laughs> yeah. Like they were off to the side somewhere when, yeah, when like, Rose was yeah, like conspiring against Mickey. <laughs> Um, and then of course Mickey's like, well, I, I don't mind you hanging out with big ears here, but you know, this guy looks kind of cheesy <laughs> and, and I just love Jack's like, like he's earnestly trying to understand the lingo yeah. of, you know, the early 21st century. Wait, so cheesy, does that mean good or bad? Oh, it's bad, but bad means good, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and just the whole um his personality there and 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 i think that's great because you just kind of get these these hints that i mean obviously he's human and you know whatever but like he he just he he's still an alien of his own in his own kind of way like because he's just not from the same culture right that rose and 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 mickey are from and so he's got that sort of he's not quite as outside the loop from the doctor. Cause clearly he has some knowledge at least of their time and place, but, but really is, has a different outlook on stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, you, I, I see you noted about, um, 
his plan and and that yeah the same same sort of thing he's like gives us like great plan he's got a really good tactical you know we're gonna cover the doors and we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that and the doctor's like wait what's going on <laughs> and like i who's in charge Excuse me, i'm the doctor I think yeah we should and it, hear what i have to say yeah and of course all he says is yeah good plan yeah let's go with it um but yeah, I mean, I, we don't get a whole lot from Jack this this episode, and and then of course there's the story he's telling, um, and 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 also before we kind of referred to how he stays behind and is working on the TARDIS mm-hmm. and 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 that sort of stuff when the others go off. But um, and it, it certainly certainly gives a different picture from when we met him in the last couple episodes, mm-hmm. and and you know, talk about growing up overnight. I mean, he does he does still sort of have that. Um, I, I mean, obviously, you know, they're, they're flirting and talking and joking around and stuff, but, but, you know, he, he's got skills. He's, you know, he's, he knows his stuff at least. Mm-hmm. Like he, we get, we get like before we, we just kind of got this idea of, of a kind of, uh, 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 I don't, I don't know if sleazy is quite the right word. Like he, he seemed too polished to be sleazy per se, but like, I know what you, mean. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, like he, like it was all it was all shine and no substance mm-hmm. but you know here we actually get an idea that that he he does have he has some knowledge and he has some skill yeah. and, and 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 like he he actually does contribute you know he he and and not that like he just necessarily attained those skills since you know right the last time we saw you know when we saw him last week on the TARDIS yeah. or you know before he entered the TARDIS but that but that like he's actually had these all along, but now he's just sort of applying himself, yeah, and or at least in applying himself in different ways, yeah, and um, and his allowing his personality to come through rather than it being all about competing with the doctor or trying to seduce Rose and all of those really superficial, you know, whatever I'm using my charm to, you know, achieve my own selfish goals. Now it's right. like he doesn't have a ulterior motive and you kind of are like well he's actually kind of a fun guy you know he's you know you know seems to be the three of them kind of you do get the idea that they've been together for a while now you know yeah they've certainly like it seems bonded. like there's been a gap you know so <laughs> they dance together a they've little been bit, dancing perhaps. all over the universe um, <laughs> um so you kind of get the idea that like the three of them have a good rapport and, you know, and he is like working well with the team. It's not so much, you know, the doctor and Rose over there and him over here. It is like, you know, and I mean, the three of them, right. they are quite taken with themselves and Mickey's annoyed by it. <laughs> and it's like, you've been, you've been with those people where it's like, you just think you're so cute, you know? Right, and it right. is a little bit annoying, but it's also, that's what happens when you form a really close friendship with people. But you, but you see Jack even drawing Mickey out a little bit, and I think that that's that's interesting too because that's in contrast to both Rose and the Doctor. Right. I mean, from from the beginning, the Doctor and Mickey, you know, butted heads yeah. and, and continued butting heads. And yes, the Doctor did kind of cover for Mickey, and you know, he, he would have allowed him on the TARDIS, and then you know, covered with Rose or or covered for mickey with rose and all of that but like you still get this idea that there's there's an acceptance but still sort of a uh a, a, a combative or or 
you know, whatever sort of relationship there. Um, but but Jack actually, you know, he's telling the story. He draws Mickey out and he gets Mickey to, right. you know, say the, the line the, the that he was going to say. Right, right. And Mickey it, gets yeah, the punchline. It, 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 it's all, you know, it's all in good taste and fun and, and, and whatever. So, like, you, you get this idea. Well, Jack's story isn't very good taste. I suppose they're all naked running around. But right. it, whatever. But the, uh, but I think that that's, that's another, I don't know, I guess that's more of a foil to the doctor than, mm-hmm. than you know, to Mickey. But but you see that relationship there where, where you kind of, you can't quite but help to like jack sure. you know like yeah. no like no like it seems like nobody can help but right. like jack yeah, yeah. like as opposed to mickey right. where everyone where seems to not to like him. mickey yeah. <laughs> yeah like it it just seems really hard yeah. to like him well and um, and i mean even with like in that little scene where they're having lunch like it, i think it's interesting that rose is sitting opposite from mickey so she's sitting across from the doctor and next to jack and as far away from mickey as possible yeah so that's right it's like again. It's like yeah. I, probably of the three, Jack is the most willing to be like, you know, personable and and accepting and trying to actually include him. Yeah, and maybe brushing his foot under the table. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> I, I'm flexible. just saying. I'm, I'm not. Uh, yeah. Um. The the. Oh wow. We, We've only got a few minutes. We left. need to talk about the TARDIS before we, have we completely to talk about run TARDIS. out of time. All right. So. TARDIS. The TARDIS. It is it's alive. Alive. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Did I didn't really see that coming? Good. Um, good. I'm glad. Yeah. The. I mean. I. I. The. The. So. Okay. Stepping back. Yeah. The chameleon circuit explanation. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. So now we know why it's a blue police box and yeah. what it, police boxes are for yeah, and the history got, of why. Right. And yeah. a nice little. You, they actually use the police, you know, Rose says the police box is actually a police box. They use it to lock up a criminal and wait right. for justice, which is what they're there for. So they actually get to put it to its actual use. But yeah, mm-hmm. no, Chameleon Circuit is supposed to analyze the surroundings in like a millisecond and determine the best form of camouflage. And it got stuck in 1963. And it's been yeah. a, a police box ever since. And why doesn't he fix it? Because he likes it. <laughs> <laughs> and and there seems to be no need to. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, well, and he gives the explanation here of, you know, well, people just walk by it. Like, let, let me tell you something about the human race, he says, you know. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, nobody has seemed to really bother with the TARDIS. No. I mean, the few times that they notice it, it's like out of exasperation. Like, uh, like again, going back to episode two, the end of the world, where where they're like, "Well, someone please move their blue box." Yeah, from, like got parked you know, in the, the parking yeah. in the you know handicap <laughs> yeah. zone or something. They need to move it, or or to sprawl graffiti on it or something. Yeah. But like you know, otherwise people do just sort of pass it by. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So the 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 heart of the TARDIS, though, like the the whole scene there at the end where or 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 sort of climactic scene it's not right at the end but um where we get margaret looking into the heart of the tardis Mm -hmm. and 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 seeing whatever she sees in there Mm -hmm. um yeah very interesting i i don't i'm not quite sure what to make of that i mean i did not like i said i didn't expect the tardis to be alive Mm -hmm. per se um and I guess so. I guess my question is one: Do do you know, or or does 
have you looked up or anything. Um, obviously, we haven't seen that happen this season. Uh, has that happened before in the history, or is this like a new development? Is this, the, would this be a big reveal of the TARDIS opening up and seeing inside its heart and knowing that it's alive? That might be... My guess would be that that's new. I think the sense that it is alive was at least maybe implied if not outright stated before that that was something i think i think i'm right in saying that there are earlier from like the classic series that there were earlier hints that you know that he refers to it as some sort of a sentient being you know separate you know that it's not just a machine um right right i feel like the opening it and the heart of the TARDIS and that sort of heavenly glow might be something new. Okay. Um, but that's off the cuff. I haven't looked that up for sure. So hmm. I might have okay. to go to some research about that. Well, and, and we get the concept of it being, well, it's certainly, it's certainly, I think definitely like the aliveness and everything is consistent with the history of the show. That it seems okay. to be that like this was like maybe a popular fan theory at the very least. Like even yeah. if if even if no one in the history of the show said it's actually alive, it's like sure. everyone kind of felt like it was anyway. That's the right. idea I've gotten. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're and maybe they're just saying definitively yes, you know. So so when when things like they arrive, you know. 12 year 12 months late rather than 12 hours late and that sort of thing like is are we to perhaps think that this is the tardis using its discretion rather than a I simple think that mechanical is, malfunction i think that is perfectly consistent yeah i think that's okay. that's definitely a great idea <laughs> <laughs> very, very. We may suave even get characters evasion. who wonder that very thing down the road, but I won't. I won't say more I, than I can at this point. But I, I think that's that's okay. Of course, yeah. Because yeah, I mean that's that seems to be the implication. Well, I mean, upon reflection, that upon seems to be reflection, one possible to, implication. And Obviously, then, they don't. And then coincidences, which seem like big coincidences, start to seem. Less like coincidence and more like, you know, uh, I don't know. Well, we because I mean we refer back to the Gelf yeah. and the Cardiff Rift mm-hmm. and and all of that. And the last time they were there, they weren't supposed to be in Cardiff yep. in eighteen. And again, and again with the Slovene, um, that they right. were that they were late. Right, right, right. So I mean, and just in time for the alien invasion. That that you know yeah, that they're getting they there, there just in time. In time, in time to see the pig crash land. Yes. Um, yeah. No. So yeah, you throw in this extra, you know, this extra wild card of the fact that the time machine has some sort of a mind of its own, and and I think you can't help but draw that conclusion that you yeah. know it has some part to play in where they go. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. And, and so, okay. So again, Margaret staring into the light, seeing the light quite literally mm-hmm. of which I guess metaphorically she's repenting of her ways and now has another chance mm-hmm. to, uh, 
at, at her life to to reform herself yeah. or be or be 10 times worse than she was this yeah, and last I kinda, time around. I kind of like that they leave that nature nurture debate open. It's sort of like, well, she's given the second chance and we don't see what happens. So I guess maybe we would solve the nature nurture debate if we could see if she goes on to become the same kind yeah. of criminal that she was or maybe wiping the slate clean and giving her a better upbringing makes a difference. Um, yeah. Well, and of course there's no guarantee that she'll get a better family this time around. Although... Right. Or, or just have a different set of problems. Right. Um, yeah. But I kind of, I like to, the idea that um, the connection between the TARDIS being, um, being able to read your, you know, the, the, the Rose's line about it, gets into my mind and changes my thoughts and all that kind of thing that that's mm-hmm. that it can affect the language centers of your brain and it has some sort of you know ability to read your thoughts so that the idea that when she rips this thing open and looks into it and what she's thinking about is how she wishes she had a second chance and it's almost like the TARDIS literally translates so rather than just translating your language it she translates mm-hmm. you know the ideas. She literally, you know, transformed her into what she... So this idea oh, that yes. it's almost like it's a literal physicalization of what it does, what it can do with your mind. Like when you rip open and expose the heart, it can have physical power as well as mental hmm. power. Sure. She is but an egg. She's, but, she's an egg. Um... Yeah, yeah. No, I don't, I mean, it was kind of a weird event. Yeah. Like I said, wasn't expecting it, and... and Well, and I think that's just one of those things that sometimes, I mean, we'll, um, we'll have episodes where the TARDIS is important in itself, you know, and mm-hmm. plays a part in the plot, but it's one of those things that just changes your perception, you know, even in episodes right. that aren't about the TARDIS at all. The fact that now you know that that that's a factor completely recontextualizes the whole story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Um, We didn't talk about the bad wolf. I think we can just talk about it really, really quickly before we go on to Buffy because we're at our time. Um, Yeah. You know, so we still don't know what it means. So there's not... A huge amount to say other than this is the first time that the characters have acknowledged the fact that this is an ongoing you know meme Motif. yeah yeah so yeah. they have the yeah. meta audience <laughs> the repeated moment. meme the, the yes. appearance of the repeated meme so yes. they have the meta audience moment where they're like wait a minute wasn't that in the last episode too like haven't we been seeing this every episode mm. for the past season um and the yeah, and, and the doctor says it's just a coincidence, which I think is a complete fib. And he's like, you oh, know yeah. what? I've yeah. got better things. To, don't worry about it. Uh, right. Shelve that for later, I think, is his tactic. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> I, we, we didn't, I mean, we pointed it out a number of times here. I don't know. Um, is it in literally every episode at this point? I think or almost. Is there... I think almost, yeah. Some of them might have been hidden in places that we didn't even see. 
Okay. We could probably go and find out all the different. And and is this something that we're going to find out like because we're coming up on the end of the season, or is it a repeated thing that just keeps going on? And on? Well, uh, or do no, you not want to say? No, it's a it's a seasonal it's a seasonal okay. thing. By the end of the season, we will understand what it refers to. And uh, actually, the next episode is called Bad Wolf. Fair enough. So well, there we go. Um, but yeah. By the end of the season, you'll you'll know what it means. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> All right. Well. Anyway, moving on to Buffy. All right. Where where we have something else that is not noticed, just like the TARDIS is not noticed by people. Right. Um. Except this time, it's a person. Yes. Um, and so what, she. What the TARDIS isn't a person? Is that what you're telling me? Oh no, that's. That's true. I, I don't know why. I, I don't know. Blonde moment. Um, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so Marcy's kind of our monster of the week a little bit. Um, although she's not really a monster. Um, but she's the metaphor. She's of the, the metaphor week. of the week, and she does some pretty monstrous things. So, um, indeed. Yeah, I mean, so this is basically. I mean. Again, we're back to form with another one of these episodes where the whole central theme is about something that is relatable to high school students. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, obviously being ignored and feeling invisible and insignificant. And that's different than the bullying. So that's different than what... You know, because the pack was all about yeah. what the bullies well, do. And, and, and this and is... Not, not just different, but almost in a way opposite. Sure. It's just as cruel, but the bullying is about being noticed. Being targeted, <laughs> right? yeah. When, when, when you're, yeah. when you're being bullied, you kind of wish you were not visible right. to people. <laughs> right, um, and, and this is, yeah, in a way it's the opposite of that. It's, it's, but it's, no, it, it's still cruel and it's, it's yeah. Yeah. So sorry. No, no, Go but ahead. that's exactly what I have is that like, you know, so Marcy isn't targeted by the powerful people or the popular people. She's completely mm-hmm. unnoticed. She's even unnoticed by her fellow outcasts like Willow and Xander. Um that even they write have a nice summer in her yearbook. Um Right. And Yeah. <laughs> and who among us has not had that the written loony, in in our yearbook and and had the loony fringe it. vote yeah yeah the loony fringe vote um so and I like the um the title I thought was really clever because it's a reversal of rather than out of sight out of mind it's out of mind out of sight so mm-hmm. it's this idea that rather than forgetting something because you don't see it and it's not around you you. It's it, it switches that so that you um you don't see something or you don't acknowledge it um or I don't I'm getting myself all confused. What I want to say is that I think what this episode is getting at is this idea that perception shapes reality. Yes. So rather than not seeing something and therefore you forget it, it's more because they forget her and don't acknowledge her she becomes invisible as a result of that. So mm-hmm. the physical reality follows upon the way people see her. Um, right. So she's shaped by that rather than, you know, rather than it being the reverse. 
Um, mm-hmm. Which I think is a really clever idea. Yeah. And it, so, and that sort of taps into, um, because the explanation we get this week is not a fantastical one like we're used to. It's it's a sort of pseudo-scientific explanation. Right. But, you know, Giles kind of slaps himself in the forehead and says, you know, oh, I should have been thinking of quantum mechanics instead of, you know, mystical powers. Like, how stupid of me not to have picked up on this already. Um, I know. And then it's like clearly like, oh, well, she's invisible yeah. because people ignore her. Why didn't I think of that? Like, yeah, like, never think of that. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, Poltergeist was a completely legitimate answer to that yeah. problem. Um, yeah, but no, we get, we, so I, I think that's right. I mean, it's, it, it is talking about perception. It's talking about um, perception and reality and, and, and how the two are intertwined. Um, and And we get a lot of that sort of skewed perception idea through Cordelia too, mm-hmm. because it's like her character is, is in part there to continually show um, how differently people see things. Right. I mean that, you, you know, we've, we've referred before to Cordelia um, and, and her, you know, uh, the, the episode where, where she yells out and Xander, thinks they heard yeah. her talking about or, or that she heard them talking about vampires. And, yeah. No, I mean, umpires. And, and of course she isn't have paying any attention to them, yeah. but you know, just other sorts of things where, you know, her world is completely shaped by perception, mm-hmm. um, by her own perception and nobody else's, but, yeah. um, anyway, I feel like we're getting ahead maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I the, just, that, and, and even just that idea that like, how we act, you know, I think we're going to talk about Marcy and whether or not she deserves our sympathy. So that's like a separate question, but the part Hmm. of the part of the responsibility, which, which isn't Marcy's, which is the fault of the people around her is this like, you know, complete irresponsibility of how you act and how you treat others. And just the idea that, what you do and say and don't do and think and all these things has a tangible effect on yeah. what's around you. So Yeah. And and I and maybe this will go into the conversation about whether or not we feel sympathetic with Marcy, but it's also whether or not you accept other people's perception of you. Sure. Cuz yeah. You, you know, I mean, some like it's hard for me to believe that in a school as big as Sunnydale seems to be <laughs> that Marcy wouldn't find anybody mm-hmm. that she could commiserate with. So part of it was, you know, her acceptance of being ignored. Yeah. Nobody ever pays attention to me. Is that, you know, and and it seems to be true, but, you know, we don't know what else might have been going on. So, I mean, certainly people ignore her. And, and the few times that we see that, um, you know, in those little sort of flashbacks that, that we see her interacting or trying to interact with Cordelia, it's the most that said to her is go away. You know, you're nobody. Yeah. And, and it's, it seems that part of the change is, is her accepting that perception. 
that yeah. she is nobody and and that's what sort of makes her disappear it's not just it's not just what other people perceive but it's your acceptance of their perceptions that that seems to be yeah. at least part of the equation yeah no she definitely um, has a big amount of responsibility you know she's not just a victim in the episode yeah and, but but she, i mean but i don't want to say that she's not a victim at all because she certainly is i mean it's it, it's sort of that you know finding your own uh mm -hmm. you know path <laughs> so to speak Right. Um, well, which again, there's it's like, of course, contrast with Cordelia. And it's yeah. like, of course, the the people she's trying to get to notice her are Cordelia and friends, you know. So mm -hmm. it's like a a lost cause, you know. Like you you could imagine that if she felt completely friendless, if she had gone to Willow, things might have turned out differently, you know. Now, I mean, Willow didn't notice her either, so you know, I guess she's complicit in it as well but it's almost like you know like when of course she's and i think that's i really want to talk about i can't not talk about marcy in this episode but i think that whatever cruel streak is in her was there from the beginning because it's cordelia and the mean girls that she wants to be a part of that that's the group that she's seeking out whereas if it, you know, it, I think it would have been different if she had felt lonely and had gone to someone who, you know, was someone who could understand her. Hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that's right. I mean, it's, it, you know, she was in band apparently. I mean, she played the flute, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, you'd like to think there were other perhaps band members who would have been friends with her or. Right you know, whatever. And, and yeah, she didn't get picked on in class, but I don't know. Did she ever go to the teacher after class? Like one-on-one, -on -one, like Cordelia right, like did? Cordelia like Cordelia does, right. You know, I mean, so, so I think there's, there's a lot of, of contrast here that, that we can make. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's hard to lay all of the faults on Marcy's herself, but it's, there's also some complicity there, certainly, yeah. and I think it's it's it's, and I again I, I'm gonna I keep hammering on it. I think it goes back to that her acceptance of other people's perception of her, or even her perception of what other people's perception of her right is. Right, right, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, which seems in a way to be somewhat accurate, but is it accurate because? she accepts it or is it accurate because that's really the truth like it, it is there an actual like objective truth here or is it all subjective is it completely 100 percent just everyone has their own subjective view of things and they're really i mean you know there isn't one or the another feeling it's just that she seems to accept whatever she thinks other people are thinking about her. Right. Does that make sense? I went yes. like totally like meta and like, yes, like out there with that, but yeah. So the invisibility being the, the result of her finally accepting what she sees other people believe her to be, which is invisible. Right. Which is itself kind of weird because people don't see her apparently. Right. So like, their other people's perception of her is non-existent, right? Which is what makes her become invisible, right? Right. Ultimately, oh wow, that's there's <laughs> a tangled 
woven web there. Mind bending um, stuff. Um, and then you know it's just cool to get like like we talked about before like different kinds of magic. You know, I mean, I think this is as magical as any of the other kinds of. It's not any more scientifically, well, we, but it's, yeah. But I think they're <laughs> trying to make a distinction between like what's um, demonic in origin or what's mm-hmm. um, natural in origin, like the praying mantis or, you know, what's, and this one is more like just purely sort of physical and, you know, and materialistic. So they're kind of, ma- they're yeah. trying to make this distinction between different layers of, you know, phenomena. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 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 No, I think you're right. And I think, I think that's a good way to split it up. Yeah, there's there's sort of the demonic, or like the spiritual, extra dim, yeah. extra dimensional, yeah. supernatural type stuff. But I mean, we've already seen that there's sort of the magics, quote unquote, that are natural. They're like it's like an extension of the physical stuff. And I would put this in that sort of thing. Yeah. It's like it's more like you know, like we talked about um, in the episode Witch, where you know we have Giles in a science room doing magic, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you know, quote magic again, you know, it's, it's more reading a recipe following a set of instructions than, you know, working with demons or working with right. Extra right. She's not, pheno- she's not you know, invisible stuff. because someone put a spell on her, you know, it's, it's a, right. it's a physical manifestation. And just sort of happens on its own. Like, she doesn't really it's, decide. It's as scientific as a TARDIS, you know, entering your brain and yes. changing your language. Yes. <laughs> um, so, and the other interesting aspect, before we get into more of the characters, because I know we're both dying to, like, start talking about, like, all of the character stuff here, especially yeah. with Cordelia. Yeah. Um, so, on that level, too, I mean, it's it's very much the mundane world entering into all of this. It's, we get you know, the FBI, this isn't, we're not, this isn't an episode where we have a demon hunter coming to town to, you know, exercise the demons from puppets or whatever. (laughs) I know that was, I totally bastardized the whole plot of that, but, um, the, you know, this is, this is the FBI following and trying to figure out what's going on. And, and it, it goes back to, you know, all the different perceptions of, levels of of um awareness and and sort of bleeding through some of that we get you know that the fbi they know that there's things going on here and and we get sort of the concept the idea that this is maybe happening all around the country and and that's another thing that sort of separates it from the the it's not a hellmouth phenomenon, right, right? Right. It's not a magical fantastical thing caused by the hellmouth this is something that's going on quite yeah in a number of spots it, and it's so, like it's an endemic problem that's you know yeah I, I, again sort of you know hammering again on that more scientific quote ex, explanation of things you know it's it it can happen anywhere it doesn't need a strong mystical power to to take effect per se yeah. um but this is also but, i mean it's the first even though it's not supernatural or as supernatural as some of the other things um, mm-hmm. it's certainly not, you know, mundane. Um, so it's the first hint, well, it's the first hint that we have that, um, that the government is at all aware 
of any of this stuff that's, you know, and might, you know, I mean, I don't want to assume that that means that the government know what the hell mouth is, but it's like, it kind of makes you wonder what else do the FBI know about and what else are they, you know, like that idea of government yeah. sort of covering up and, yeah. and in this case, even using, you know, using it right. for their own, you know, dirty ends. <laughs> and, and that's like, well, yeah. Or, 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 yeah, I mean, in this case, we get that sense, right? Yeah, that there's, they're obviously, <laughs> she opens her textbook up to, you know, assassination, a on assassination. infiltration, yeah. And infiltration. So, uh, yeah, I mean, clearly, clearly they're making use of her. She's going to become a useful member of society again. And that's, that's, is it, I think it's Agent Minetti who says that at the end, or I can't remember which one. Um Anyway, I didn't so, realize yeah. there was a distinction. <laughs> I just saw a Agent Doyle and Minetti are those are the names they give. Are they um, are they recurring? Is that why you know their names? No, they mention it. Oh, really? Right at the end. Oh. Yeah, no, we don't ever see them. All right. I I, I won't I won't hold you in suspense. Okay. <laughs> we'll get I just didn't even seven, really pick up be... on the fact that they had names, so I thought maybe yeah. maybe that's because they're important later. No, no, they just they say it, they're one off. Um, but the, the, yeah, no, you're right. This is, it is the first hint that we get that any sort of, uh, authority figure has an idea of what's going on, not just the government per se, but I mean, other than Giles, nobody seems, I mean, right. we get some hints from principal Snyder. He seems to kind of know something's up there's yeah. there's something fishy about the number of deaths and we even yeah. get we even get the 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 one small quote here this is the only thing i wrote down for snyder this week is is where he says uh there there's been no deaths in this school this week <laughs> <laughs> or there are no dead students here that's what he says there's no dead students here this, this week, week. <laughs> um so yeah no that it's yeah that right he senses a pattern he he senses a pattern, but we don't have any any sense that there's any real official authoritative figure until now. Right. And like even you know, it's just two FBI guys. These are like you know, it's like Fox and Mulder here. You know, these are we don't necessarily get the sense that there's a whole lot of FBI people who even necessarily know about it. <laughs> right. Um. You know, at this point, so. Right. Right. Just a small um, little. Just a small little branch that takes care of the invisible kids and then the lady who teaches them about assassination <laughs> right right exactly um so let's move on because we have to talk about cordelia yeah this is this is cordy's episode yes. uh at least to date so far yeah. to date yes it's the first one where we get anything of substance from her yeah and we get a, a lot yeah so yeah, don't, I, I don't want to I don't want to influence your your conversation and what you picked up on. So why don't you go ahead and tell me what you want to talk about with Cordelia? Well, so one little line, which is kind of a throwaway, but which I think is kind of, you know, a nice hey, encapsulation of that. That's easy to do with Cordelia, but you you have to take everything she says into account some some measure of. Uh, uh, earnestness, yes. because I I don't think that there's anything that she says has throwaway. Okay, but that's just my perception. Well, so sorry. So the thing which it's like if I was going to put her character like in a nutshell, when she goes yep. to the English teacher, 
um, to talk about her paper. And she says, um, I have all these thoughts, but they all, I'm pretty sure they all contradict each other. Mm. And I thought, well, that's a pretty nice encapsulation of the character that she has a lot of personality and a lot of different personality aspects and they all contradict each other. Um, <laughs> that, you know, she's, you know, the biggest, you know, ice queen and, but she's also, you know, very lonely and you can kind of really understand, you know, how she might be that way. Um, and she's totally, you know, shallow and self-centered, but she's also noticing things about Buffy that aren't, that other people aren't noticing. She might come to the wrong conclusions about them. She might not understand them or relate to them, but she's picking up on things. And it's kind of like when she analyzes Shylock, you know, and his, (laughs) I don't think anyone could say that that was a particularly good analysis of Shakespeare, but, but the fact that, you know, that the teacher appreciates that she's done the reading, that she's thinking about it, you know, that she Mm. is a thoughtful person, even if her thoughts don't come to always good conclusions, you know, it's kind of like she gets credit for, you know, going out of her way. And I don't know. I don't know what you think about that, but the fact that she's a, (laughs) well, you know, what's that quote about like, I contain multitudes and I contradict myself. I kind of feel like right, sure. she has these depths and she contradicts herself all the time. And that's, what's interesting about the character. Yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely right. I think, and, and the thing is almost everything Cordelia says, you know, is immediately what she's thinking. Yeah. Like she's, I don't want to say she can't be deceptive because I'm, you know, I'm sure she can be, but the like 99.9% of what comes out of her mouth is straight from, right. Just you know, the, da- she, she doesn't have a filter. Ego. And, yeah. and, and you see some of that. Um, I think, you know, what you're picking up on is absolutely right. You see some of that, uh, conflict, uh, you know, conflicting, um, ideas and, and, and the mixed up thoughts, the contradicting thoughts. Um, just even, you know, because she comes in, she thinks Buffy and them are, again, the, the fringe loonies. You know, they're they're not cool and whatever. But she knows they're the ones who can help. Yeah. You know, they're they're the ones who can help. And and, and it's like to her, it's like, well, duh, it's so obvious why I'm coming to you. It's because you're strong and you're, you know, yeah. you're weird and, and you're the one who can help me. Why wouldn't I come to you? Like... You know, it it doesn't occur to her that everything that she said before about them would make them not want to help her. Right. That's just what they're there for, to help her. Right. (laughs) Not even to help people in general, just her. Right, When she needs it. Well, and that's the Um, self-centeredness is, you know, is it's it's not a factor how they might feel about it. It's she clearly perceives what they do and – you know, they're there when she needs them. Yeah. Um, and like and like I said before, she doesn't even necessarily understand what it is that she's picking up on. Because she says, like, mm-hmm. I was kind of hoping you were in a gang. Like, she <laughs> she gets the idea that Buff- Buffy has weapons yeah. and Buffy's strong and Buffy's always there when there's trouble. She doesn't necessarily, <laughs> you know, she doesn't, of course, 
understand that that's because she's a vampire slayer. And I mean, who would? But she sees what, you know, what is apparent and comes to a reasonably good conclusion about it, even if it's a little bit skewed. Yeah. Well, and I I think there's an interesting aspect to, um, based on what Willow says, when they're when Willow and Xander are kind of having their, their moment and Buffy's feeling left out because they're remembering, you know, something that happened in elementary school or whatever. And, and Willow says, Cordelia has a history of trying too hard. And I think that's another line that we could almost take as a throwaway, but, but we get that conversation where Cordelia talks about loneliness and, Mm -hmm. and she says to Buffy, you know, you think I'm never lonely because I'm so cute and popular. Like, you know, again, it's that, the sort of dichotomy there it's like of course she's she's lonely i you know i can be surrounded by people and be completely alone and 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 you do get that sense that all along yeah she's trying too hard she's she's she wants people to like her because it beats back that loneliness but at the same time she's she's opposite to marcy in that way in that she's not willing to take on anything. She doesn't care what people think about her, or at least she doesn't seem to. She acts as if she doesn't care. But then we get this whole speech, understanding that, she, you know, where she says, I, I uh, you know, I think people are so busy agreeing with me that they don't even hear a word I say sometimes. Like, yeah. she's aware. She's totally aware of other people's perceptions, but she's not accepting them the way that Marcy has. Right. And I think that's that's the contrast that that we're kind of meant to see that, yeah, Cordelia, she tries hard, but she tries hard to not see those perceptions, to not be affected by them, to, to really be and I and I think, in my opinion, I think she's pretty darn successful at that. She's definitely goes her own way and it's the people who are agreeing with her you know it's not it's not her agreeing with what everyone else is thinking it's 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 everyone else agreeing with her and so part of the reason why she has this perception of the world being all about her is because she's the only one that she consults in that in her own perception right you know she doesn't she doesn't accept anything else and and rightly or wrongly i mean that that certainly makes her, uh, uh, well, I think that lends to her a strength because we know that she recognizes, she recognizes this fact that, that there are people all around her who don't really know or understand what she's like and that she is alone and whatever. Like nobody has an accurate perception of her either, but that's not, stopping her right (laughs) i feel like i'm hammering on the same point like in in different ways but well i think it both contributes to her strength and her confidence and her sense of you know identity and self-sufficiency but then that also feeds more into the loneliness that the less i think there is an aspect of of there can be a healthy caring what people think of you you know there can be a wanting to relate and wanting to be held in a high opinion, you know, that, you know, so she gets the good aspects of it, which is that she isn't defined by other people and she doesn't, you know, worry if, if, you know, if she needs to be sort of self-sufficient. But then I think that contributes to the popularity 
contributes to the loneliness in a weird kind of way that the more she sets herself up as this sort of, you know, thing to be on a pedestal, you know, and you know, the more that she's surrounded by admirers, you know, the less she is actually connecting with anybody. Um, and that would actually, you know, it's like a vicious cycle of you try to get more, you know, friends to be less lonely, but the more friends you kind of, or it's not even really friends, it's just people to prop her up and, you know, mm -hmm. and agree with her and praise her. Um, you know, I think the more isolated she's only going to get. So it, it's it's kind of similar to Marcy's situation, but in a different sort of way. Yeah, no, I think I think they're on the same spectrum. Yeah. Um, you know, because I yeah, think it's interesting because Cordelia I, I, is all about. I mean, she doesn't care what she cares what people think in terms of her image. She doesn't care what people think in terms of her character. You know, so she doesn't need them to feel like she's a worthwhile person. But, you know, all of what she needs from them is about voting me the May Queen and how do I look? And, right, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> yes, it's it's not only my right to be uh, so popular, but it's my responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for making the right choice and showing me how much you love me. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, and, and no, I think that's all right. I mean, I, and I didn't mean to imply that she didn't need that feedback because we get, you know, again, her own explanation, which it, you know, it, part of Cordelia and her character is what amazes me is how much insight she has into herself, which is completely different, um, you know, sometimes from, from some of those other characters, I, most of the other characters, like, you know, seem to sort of be feeling their way. Even Buffy, who's, you know, obviously very confident and stuff, sort of has to work through it, right? She's not always sure what the right answer is or whatever. Yeah. Cordelia is 100% confident, and, and you kind of... But it's not a diluted confidence, or at least um, not always a diluted confidence. Mm -hmm. Like, it's... She knows. She knows what she's like, and she, she knows what other people around her are like, and, and she understands very well sort of the psychology behind it all. Like it, I, I think that's sort of the big reveal that we take away from here. And we've gotten hints of that in other episodes, but this is, this is, I think where we really understand that she's not, she's not just play acting and, and she's not just doing whatever, but she says, you know, when Buffy asks, well, why, you know, if you feel that way, why do you, you know, act the way that you act? And she says, well, it, it beats being alone all by yourself. It's like, you know, it, if, if, if you're going to be alone, you might as well be alone and have everyone telling you you're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. then, then to be alone and, 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 and feel just feel alone and be, and wind up like Marcy basically. Right. Um, so anyway, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting the amount of insight and actually I want to, I want to go back to what you said. Cause I actually, I mean, I think that Cordelia, so going back to the, conversation about Shylock yeah. and her analysis there. Like, yes, there are parts of it that are wrong, but I actually quite think she does a pretty nice job of, no. of analyzing Shylock's character. It's the application. Yeah. No. That, and that's you know, what I to, meant to her own. 
uh, yeah, like, circumstances. That, like when I got hit wrong. by a car and yeah, or I hit yeah. the girl with my car right. and she tried to make it all about her. Yeah. No, right, right, and that's right. what I meant by flawed analysis. But no, because I think we're meant to understand that her line about get over himself mm-hmm. is is applicable to what's going on in the story. And there is an element of, you know, you don't want to blame the victim, but there's a huge element, you know, I mean, the whole quote is about whether or not, you know, a wronged person has a right to take revenge, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not just about the question of, you know, I think we all agree that it's not right to, you know, oppress somebody or treat them badly or discriminate, you know? But the question of if that happens to somebody, do they deserve revenge? You know, so yeah. and that's a more complicated thing. And yeah. and I think most of us would agree that, well, no, <laughs> revenge is usually not the best idea. Um, and that's Cordelia's point is, yes, <laughs> you know, you've been wronged, but get over yourself, you know. And, you know, I mean, well, I, I think she misunderstands because she kind of makes it all about. Right. It's all about no, me, she, you know, but she misapplies yeah. it. But it well and it's and again, I'm not sure I would agree that she misunderstands, but she does misapply it. Yeah. So I, I I don't know. I mean, I'm sure we could go back and forth on that. But I I think you're right. I think I mean I think everything she says about Shylock is right. And then as soon as she starts talking about herself, yeah. it, she it gets goes sidetracked. way south. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it's it's, it's it's all about me. Yeah. It's about me, me, me. Um, <laughs> although, when she does realize it's all about her, this one she actually turns is about right. her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, and of course, so again, we're contrasting Cordelia not just with Marcy but with Buffy. Yeah. And and cordelia is horrendous to buffy and and with the whole you know again the loony fringe comment which we've made several times here but yeah i mean that's just that's horrible you know she's going around giving everyone cookies for votes and and all of this but um you know and then when buffy reveals that she was at one time the may queen or the equivalent of the main queen at at her former school and which is basically like prom queen yeah, yeah, Seems prom queen, whatever. I mean, and they, yeah, because Cordelia even talks about have, going to the prom and and how's Mitch going to look now in the prom pictures yeah. and that kind of stuff. Um, the, uh, yeah, and, well, and when you know Buffy <laughs> notes that she she was at one time popular in her own school and and understands how Cordelia's feeling and Cordelia's response: "What you were popular in in what alternate universe were you popular?" Like, yeah, she's horrendous to Buffy, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, there's some interesting insight there too about Buffy's characters. And it's that reminder of how much her life has changed. And, and even going back from, you know, we talked about in the very first episode of the series where we talked about her desire to be that normal person and how far she's come and sort of that 
like now it's no longer it doesn't seem to be that driving desire that she used to have yeah um it's it's kind of receded she's accepted almost completely uh the the role that she has as a slayer now and it's that but it's that throwback it's that wistfulness that yeah well that's um, what i was just gonna say it's like there's just the hint of like a little bit of a wistfulness is a good word like a little bit of regret is maybe even too strong but just you know that she's sorry there's a little bit of her that's sorry that that's not the way it is anymore but mm -hmm. never does she ever really act on that or say anything like that like she never no like you know you kind of get the hint of it like when she's just kind of said something about that she used to be popular and then there's xander and willow who are like laughing like dorks and being right. completely right. like you know just the dorkiest friends <laughs> it's like that would be her window to say something yeah. well, now you have to us. Them. yeah well and that would be like i feel like in another story or another character that would be when they would say something really mean to those friends because they mm. just got burned by the popular girl and she's feeling sorry that she's not popular and now i've got these dork friends so i'm gonna like you know say something you know that she will regret later but she doesn't right, right. i mean she no you know she kind of is you know a little left out and a little on her own but she just kind of keeps it to herself and you know, you're right. She doesn't really seem that bothered by it. Not mm -hmm. enough to, you know, actually comment on it or or make Willow and Xander feel bad because, no, you know, because she doesn't resent their friendship at all. Right. No. And, and that's right. No, that's exactly it. The, the, the contrast there, Cordelia doesn't have any true friends, even though she's surrounded by a bunch of people. Right. Um. Buffy has Willow and Xander mm -hmm. and that's well in Giles, but I mean, he's not a friend per se, but um, you know, those are her only friends, but you know, even Xander says, well, now you have us. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's better. And, but you know what? It really is. Better oh yeah. Because they understand Buffy in a way that nobody understands Cordelia. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's definitely, <laughs> definitely a, uh, a, a contrast there between the two of them. Mm -hmm. um, one other thing about Buffy that does well, and so okay, they get tied up, and and Cordelia is kind of whimpering there and whatever, um, while Buffy's fighting and to save both of them. Um, and I, I love that moment where Cordelia is kind of whimpering, and 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 Buffy just says, "Cordelia, shut, shut up. up." Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then um, just sort of going back another aspect of how much Buffy has changed, thinking back to, I don't know if it was, I can't remember if it was the first episode or second one where they're in the club, uh, they're at the bronze and uh, which they are again at the bronze. But um, when, when Giles is talking to Buffy, I think it's the first episode where, where he's talking to Buffy about, you know, Oh, you should be able to sense if there's any vampires or evil things around here. Yeah. Well, what does Buffy do at the end of this? I mean, she closes her eyes and she listens and 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 she, you know, is able to use her, her senses to, to find out where Marcy is. Right. And, well, and there's and this the whole theme about listening, you know, that like that Marcy says, look and listen and learn. Um, mm. At one point, Willow, when she's 
think she might hear something says like listen you know um and giles says to buffy you may have to work on listening to people um mm-hmm. and yeah. so she kind of at the end she does learn the lesson she does listen you know it doesn't make her approve of marcy's action i think marcy wanted her to listen and then you know and then agree with you know the actions that she was taking so you know buffy doesn't go that far but i mean it's kind of like a little Mm. you know again another literalization of what's going on sort of internally with the characters that you know she is listening it's just a shame that marcy is uh, I don't know. Well, and it, and at that point, it seems that Marcy's not the one who's yeah. listening or oh, paying right. attention yeah. to other people. She's yeah. she's made it all about her, yeah. just in a more dangerous way than Cordelia did. Yeah. Um, well, we should. I mean, again, we're almost out of time, and we're leaving the oh. big thing right for the end. So, I mean, we need to talk about Marcy a little bit more. I think. Okay. Um. Go ahead. So. <laughs> I mean, we've kind of flirted with this before, so maybe we've already talked about some of it. But just this idea of her being, you know, complicit in her own mm-hmm. predicament. Um, and, yeah, and like you said, like completely being the one who needs to learn the very lesson that she's trying to teach. Um, you know, and I just said before about with, you know, wanting to be with the Mean Girls crowd that I think that element of cruelty was there from the start. You know, that you could imagine other people turning invisible and then not being sure what to do with that. But that she was someone who, when she was trying to make friends, she did that by joining in with the mean laughter, you know. Right. Um, So I think this is probably someone who, you know, certainly we can feel bad that she was alone and ignored but i don't think this is someone who was a hugely sympathetic person to begin with um and i think they kind of eventually they come to realize that the buffy's trying to buffy says like she's trying to understand her but she didn't take into the into account the fact that she's a thundering loony um and that's what cordelia called buffy earlier was a loony you know i don't need a loony friends vote so um you know, so even Buffy by the end, and and they say that earlier too that um, Cordelia, uh, you know, says something about like, well, you know, obviously you can't let her win, and everyone else is kind of like, I don't know, they're kind of ready to feed Cordelia to the wolves because they're just so sick of her. But Buffy agrees with her and goes, no, it doesn't matter what this girl has had done to her, she can't you can't just turn around and victimize other people like this. Yeah. So, you know, a little more, and that's what makes her, again, like, not just the invisibility, but her actions are what makes her the monster of the week, you know. Right, right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and her actions are monstrous. I mean, she she goes from sort of the, the pranks to, well trying to kill people <laughs> and and then in a way even the the you know what she's planning to do to Cordelia 
which isn't to kill her, it's to disfigure her. Yeah. And it's to, it's like, in a way that's almost even worse, right? It's like, it's not just, I mean, killing is bad. I don't mean to say that that's not mm-hmm. bad, but like, it's, it's more vindictive. It's, 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 you know, putting this thought and energy into, into trying to make her feel as bad as, as she has felt. And it's, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's hard. It, I think I would like Mickey before I like Marcy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I just have that. Cause feeling, at least but. Mickey doesn't take it out on other people when he gets ignored. Well, except Rose perhaps, but <laughs> well, he doesn't cut up. But his but face she's not anyway. around, so yeah, no, she doesn't. He, that's true. <laughs> Mickey does not cut up Rose's face. That is definitely true. <laughs> that would be quite a different story. Yeah. Um, no. No. I. Yeah. You're right. Um, the. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't have a lot on Marcy herself because I. I kind of feel like. I mean. I, I feel like she's straightforward and and part of that is because it's you know as much as she wants to blame Cordelia for you know ignoring her her own attempts to kind of butt into everyone else's um you know way is is just as self-centered oh, yeah. it seems in a way yeah definitely um, so it's it it becomes a woe is me attitude yeah. and it it it's yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, and and you're right. I mean, you do sort of have this visceral dislike of victim blaming because I do think that there that she is to some extent a victim in all of this too. I mean, it's it's clear that people don't see her and and they or they actively tell her to go away and that. But but there's a there's an appropriateness to the reaction that she way oversteps, (laughs) you know, it's, you know, someone ignores you. Okay. You know, that doesn't give you the right to cut them up some, um, you you know, so that's, yeah, I don't know. I, like, I, I guess we, we come to see that she finds her niche at the end, (laughs) um, with the other loonies, apparently her niche is based on her cruelty. You know, that she's yeah. she's not well, yeah. being rehabilitated. She's not being a useful member of society. She is having well, her yeah. innate meanness exploited by the government. You know, so it kind of goes along with what we've seen of the character so far. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know we're we're kind of at the end of time. Is, is there anything else you wanted to talk about with Marcy? Not with Marcy, no. Um, okay. Did we want I, to say one I, or two things about Angel before the end? Yeah, Angel and and kind of the broader mythology. Yeah. I think they're they're tied together here. Um, one thing, actually, before we get to Angel, <laughs> sorry, uh-huh. we're gonna this is gonna be like a two hour uh, podcast. <laughs> um, Xander, uh-huh. real quick. Yeah. Love love the moment where he like <laughs> is asked to help research, and he's like, "What? So there's." homework now like when did this yeah. when did i suddenly become talk about productive members yeah like when did i suddenly have to like do things to be part of this group <laughs> like D- outside um, reading that, that was just yeah just hilarious um but the uh <clears throat> wanted to make a continuity note in the first episode the first time we see xander uh-huh. 
he's on a skateboard. Uh-huh. In this episode, we see him carrying a skateboard. Uh-huh. There is no other instances of skateboards and Xander together ever in the series. Interesting. So just wanted to point wanted to point that out. It, yeah, it's just kind of funny that that there, it's like the first thing we get of him is like yeah. supposed to be kind the of this skateboarding dude, yeah, goofy, goofy skateboarding dude, and then we haven't seen him at all on S skateboard. You know, that's funny. Since then. And then we never will again. No, we never will. But he's got this one episode where he's carrying the skateboard. So it's like, yeah, this back. They like anyway, flirted that, totally, with the totally, idea and then dropped it. Yeah. Totally unimportant. Yeah. Actually, and actually Joss says in, um, I think the interview for, or the, uh, commentary or something for that first episode, he, he's like, yeah, it, that was a really difficult shot and we just didn't want to do that anymore. So <laughs> we decided not to. Um, that's funny. Okay. Angel. So, we get a couple of things here. One, I can't, I can't remember if we were told before that he doesn't feed on humans anymore. Um, when we learn that, I, it's he was kind a of implied pet. when he has all the bags of blood in the fridge. Um, they, you know, there's that moment. I think it was in Angel where I don't know if they outright said he doesn't feed on humans or hasn't in a long time, but that's the idea that I got since the blood is sort of stashed away that he's living off of a supply like right, maybe from like right, a blood right, bank right. or something that's right that's right we see the fridge yeah yeah that. yeah yeah um and then you know giles a vampire in love with the slayer it's kind of poetic in a maudlin sort <laughs> of way uh, nice but the the um once again we get angel coming in with his dire warning something big is coming i don't know what but something big is happening like and of course we know there's one one more episode until the Hmm. season finale it may happen in the last episode yeah Hmm. Yeah. i wonder what that's yeah Yeah. well okay Um, so he's there for the for the dire warning um mm -hmm. i think he's there to get them out of the the room with the gas you know it's handy to have something on the outside um, he's sort of a device, and and someone unexpected. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's not. And right. but more important than than that, I think is, you know, is him getting this book for Giles. You know, so mm-hmm. I don't know what you can and can't say because I'm sure that's leading into, you know, the next episode and maybe beyond. You know, whatever's going to be the significance oh. of this book. You mean this ancient, mysterious book that Giles has always wanted, but there isn't any copies of, and Angel just happens to have a copy yeah. of it right before the big something it's that's like, coming, oh, but nobody knows what? All this, all the Slayer volumes have been lost for hundreds of years. Oh, I have that, like, back in my apartment. I'll go run and get it for you. <laughs> like, yeah. So, you know, I don't know. We probably can't. There's probably nothing to talk about there. But, I mean, that's. Uh, doesn't it, didn't they say it contains information about what is the Slayer's role in the end years? That was, that was the line. So, um, so I think Angel was there to get this book to Giles because I'm sure he's Mm going to learn something about the Slayer's role in the end years. And then the hint of where the heck did Angel get this book? Um, why does he have this? What else does he have? You know, all that just adds more mystery to the character right right yeah no that's that's all that's all in there and and as we pointed out last week um quite at length joss whedon wrote last week's 
Well, he 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 came up with the story for right, last right. week and, he did for and this, this one week, too. yeah. And and it won't be a surprise to say that he'll the story we look at for the next episode for the finale is his story as well. So I mean, obviously this this episode didn't by and large talk uh, a lot about the mythology. We do get some of these important bits here, yeah. and I think that's that's definitely. Uh, Whedon's influence on the story here is yes, Angel is a device, but it's it's also about sort of tying in, you know, all of those notes right from the beginning. Where the first time we saw him, it was I'm a mysterious man bringing information, and yeah. now once again he's kind of mysterious and he's bringing. I mean, we know a little more about him this time, but you know, not a lot. And he doesn't interact with Buffy at all this time. Right. 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 Yep. Um, which I think is the first time we see him, and that's the case. Um, yeah. Every other time, he's it's either been only with Buffy, or or at least the others have been around, but yeah. not like he wasn't interacting with them. This time, it's just a he's Giles. going to Giles, yeah. and, and right because he says he there. can't be around Buffy; it's too hard for him right. to be around her. But right. he so, clearly has some warning, so he's getting it to her. <laughs> Giles. So, so I think the yeah, there's there's device there too, just to maybe integrate him a little bit more with the rest of the team, so to speak. Yeah, I don't think that's a, a big surprise. I mean, that that seems pretty obvious. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then of course the two sort of vampire related um, things. One, Giles doesn't see him because vampires don't have reflections. Right. Um, which is pretty common vampire yeah. lore. Yeah, um, but also nicely but, mirrors the theme of the episode too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and his his note that looking in the mirror every day and seeing nothing, nothing there is an overrated pleasure. Yeah. Um, but also that he doesn't breathe. He doesn't need oxygen. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is another interesting bit. And I and I'm not familiar enough with vampire lore in general to know if that's a common thing. I mean, obviously vampires are undead right? or whatever, but yeah, I don't know. I don't um, know how common that is. But anyway, so at least for the purposes of, of Buffy vampires don't breathe. All right. So there you go. Good to know. <clears throat> anyway. All right. We've gone over way over. So uh, <laughs> please nobody sue us. Uh, as Principal Snyder would say. Don't sue. Don't sue. All right. Well, good good talks. I mean, I, I you know, and I have a feeling that as we get into like the end of season. seasons, yeah. <laughs> like we're we're probably going to have this problem going forward, but yep. we'll um, try to do our best to keep it at a reasonable time, if not on time. <laughs> exactly. So, thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. See you then. Thank you.